Hello and welcome. Coming to you from a dimly lit study under the pale light of a green tinted lampshade. Typing on my Olympia SM9. I'm Josh. And I'm John, and this whiskey's neat, just like I like it. But this is the Geek ETC Podcast, where we dive into all things you can geek out about. And welcome back. Once again, another week, another day, another hour. Another passed. podcast. Another podcast. Yep. Getting back into the work schedule, we kind of were unable to do it last week, so getting back at it, and then yeah. hopefully we'll start to get more scheduled until you go on vacation. And right. Then, um, <laughs> then we'll see. Then we'll see. I, You know, yeah. I was just thinking, and this is just some uh, uh, company brainstorming right now, is uh, should... Should we just like do some like short, like have some 30 minute clips that we just put out every week while you're out there scheduled or something like that? Like a little short tidbits on yeah, conversations? Like, yeah. I, th- I feel like that would be pretty easy to, to wrangle then, up. And then a big Jap- Japan, 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 a big Japanese uh, trip, like a recap, recap. Oh yeah. That'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm hoping to come back with many stories. Um, I, I literally just had a thought that would probably be pretty good. It's way out of my typical norm of operation, but I just had the sudden urge to be like, what if I got a journal and like took with me and, and journaled my trip? Because no. I know for sure I'm not going to remember everything just in my head. So it might not be a bad idea to do like a, at the end of our days, kind of do a little journal recap on what we did. And that way I could bring that back and I would have plenty of notes to talk about. Oh, for sure. I, you know, I'm, I try to write things down as I can. I, I have like a locked notepad that I use on my phone and that's where I keep a lot of my stuff at. Um, mm. but yeah, journal, my wife journals quite a bit. Um, mainly when she's mad, uh, people <laughs> or having a, a bit rough time it's not like a they're not usually happy journals but to each their own it helps her so i think you should do it for sure hey well, i just added a, a journal to my list of things to look up when we're done here so i gotta do some shopping and find find the appropriate one gotta get the perfect leather bound with like nice pages and stuff Ooh. I've, as a matter of fact, I think I bought my wife a journal one time, you know, as like one of the one Christmas gift, you know, like one of many Christmas right. gifts. And um, it is crazy how many like leather bound, just little notebooks are out there. Like, I, 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 I feel like, what, what was I looking for? Oh, we were looking for actually for our Japan trip to find like a little booklet for stamps because in every train station and in a lot of the places they have these stamps that you can uh, go around and collect stamps through the country basically like every train station has their own independent ones and airports and stuff so they make these little stamp journals it's kind of like the size of like a passport sort of thing and you can go and you can collect these stamps everywhere and uh wife really wants to do that so uh, like in it, just even the process of looking at for that, there's yeah, like you said, on Amazon or Etsy, there's an infinite amount of leather bound this or leather bound that in every color you could imagine and design and everything. Yeah, it's yeah, it is uh, in, in in stamps. And what I'm pretty sure you're talking about, just for everybody, not like postage stamps, but the stamped like the, an ink got those, stamp. 
ink stamps. Yeah, because yeah, I, I know that they a lot of Japanese companies and stuff still use like you know wood and stamps, like wood with rubber inscribed stamps or whatever, and then they use that to to kind of put their signatures down on things or is like, hey, I've checked this out. It's you know this is my sign off on quality or whatever. Right. So that's yeah, it, cool. it's definitely a common thing, and there's a bunch of really cool ones and stuff. So we're gonna just have that on us, you know, anywhere we go throughout the days. And if we happen to see one, we can just uh, nab it right then. Well, and for a a country that's like as technologically um, advanced or, you know, like they they use techno, you know, the toilet, for example, the Japanese toilet, when somebody says Japanese toilet, we all imagine something spraying our booty and playing music. Right. Um, Heated seats, all that jazz. Yeah, exactly. But they have a lot of analog things that they do also. Very much so. And I like that quite a bit. You know, I know you didn't like that um, Palo and Tokyo guy. You're not a big fan of his YouTube channel. But I mm. do like it when he goes to businesses and he does like a day in the life of, you know, a auto mechanic or something like that. Right. And almost all of these jobs start out with like a morning workout and stretching routine as like part of their company behavior and man it's just funny we could use that here yeah they they're they're all very and they're all very gung-ho about their job and it's very interesting that's very admirable and that that's one of those things again i just love about their culture is that kind of extra work ethic behind them and stuff it's it's awesome but as long as to a fault though i know they've had issues well yeah overworking people but yeah i understand completely where you're coming from there's a fine balance with it for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, anything fun happening this past week while we were? Uh, <sighs> I mean, yeah, you know, fun things happen. I, I say I don't want to continue the ever going train of Baldur's Gate speak, so I'll just keep it short. In the fact of there's still many hours going into that, and many more to come. How, yeah, how? How many hours is our co-op game in so far? Oh, our co-op game? Mm. 525,600 minutes. How many hours is that? That's like a year. Oh, that would make sense. Well, I'm going to load it up here and see. We are 63 hours and 6 minutes into ours. I feel like we're getting close to the end. But yeah, that's a long time. We're at least getting close to the max level. You know, we are close to that's the level. end, but yeah, but yeah, we get 63 hours in that. My personal playthrough, I've got another 29. I'm somewhere around there, probably too, in my personal, like in my solo campaign. Yep. So, good amount of time, but I'm seeing a lot of posts about people like, I just finished my 200, you know, 230 hour playthrough. So, first time through. I but think yeah, I ours would have been much longer if we hadn't played through a couple of times in early access recently. Oh, for sure. In the early act, like the act one stuff. I think that's... We sped run a little bit of the for act one stuff, for sure. Yeah, we know so much of it, so... Right. But, yeah. yeah. Continuing on with that, and then we have uh, um, a lot of the tickets for things, going back to Japan, a lot of the tickets for things, they only let you buy them, like, maybe a month, month and a half out from... uh when you want to go there. So um, we're hitting that point now where we're close enough where s- tickets are starting to become available for different things that we want to do. 
so my uh, wife has been kind of keeping a you know a close a hawk's eye on some of those times and days and checking in on things and as soon as they come open she's snatching up the tickets oh sick because some of them go pretty quick um there's one called team lab planets tokyo which i'm very excited for and it's basically a um like multi-room it's kind of like an art exhibit really but it's like somewhat interactive and a lot of the rooms like there's rooms that the floor ceiling and walls are all mirrors and they have like like hundreds or thousands of like led light strands like from the ceiling down to the floor and all of it's reflecting off of everything so you step into these rooms and they just look like infinite rooms of light and color and, and everything and so they're all like very trippy experiences or there's one where you go in and there's water kind of halfway up your calf and there's it uh, images projected down on top of the water and there's like koi fish swimming around you and everything i hate to say cool. it i hate to say it but like i've seen that recently oh god i hate saying it because occasionally my wife and i will watch like a mr beast video and he went to that did he really yeah and he was but he, he bought the entire thing out for himself so it was just him and his little nerds running around in there of course he did yeah, so I I literally know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> nice. But yeah, it looks pretty trippy, pretty cool. So uh, we got our tickets for that. That's exciting. And then we were looking at tickets for the Tokyo Sky Tree, which is going to be a little bit of a struggle with my like um, vertigo that I have trouble with sometimes in high places because they have two viewing decks, one at 350 meters and one at 450 meters. So it's getting up there. It's it's the tallest radio tower in the world. Well, to be fair, meters don't exist to us because we are from the United States. So, so for all I'm concerned, I'll just be on the it. ground. Yeah, yeah I'll go over there. I'm like, I'm on the ground. It's fine. That's a good point. But uh, uh, at at the Sky Tree as well, they also have a planetarium and an aquarium. So we're just going to make a day of doing all those things. And then they have special nighttime tickets that we're getting where you can go up at like 7 or 8 o'clock at night and then you can view, you know, t the Tokyo skyline in, at night all lit up, you know, and really cool looking. And you also get like a free, I guess it's not really free because it's included with the price, but you get a drink voucher as well that they have a little like bar up there so you can go and get you a drink and just kind of hang out and lounge and look out at the city pretty dope I, I a planetarium is something i've not been to in a long time and i think that would be a lot of fun to go to right one of those. Yeah, i, they I like... also just want to do like a desert I, I, that's one of the biggest things that like interests me in going to like the southwest united states is going to somewhere like out light pollution big sky country and oh yeah those you know you see all those time-lapse star videos and i think that would be sick that's something i've always wanted to do never been had the chance was you know, to go somewhere that's far enough away where there is no light pollution and you can see like the whole milky way and everything and like that's one of those things i hope i get to do someday just get somewhere f away from all light pollution like and it's just about like out in the desert it's one of the few places you can do that here in america oh yeah maybe up in some in like the woodlands up in like you know montana or colorado some of those places probably have some and up in the rockies they probably have some decent places too if any of the, you know, you listeners know of a cool place they're living anywhere like that, let us know. Send us a message 
on uh, Instagram at GeekyTC Podcast and, you know, let us know if you're living somewhere where you get to see all the stars in the Milky Way. That'd be interesting to hear. Or just write it. You can also um, send us a plane message uh, by hiring a plane and towing a sign across uh, Western North Carolina, and maybe we'll see it. Just like let us know a, a roundabout time to look for yeah. it, and then then we'll keep an eye out. But nobody's ever done that for me, so you know. No one's hired a banner plane to send no. you a message. No. <laughs> Wonder how much that costs. Hmm. I don't know. There's a lot of there's a lot of dunces out there that do it. So I'm gonna mm. say sub one thousand, but very well more could be. than more than six hundred. Aerial advertising apparently yeah. a, a a thing. Although I don't see it doesn't list any kind of like prices, costs, or anything. Yeah, there's no prices on here from what I see. I mean, like there's a contact us thing. Where you can, I guess, call them and get a quote. I don't, and I wonder if that's something like the cost change, like how many passes they do mm-hmm. in the plane, like back and forth, like how long they're up there, kind of thing. I mean, props to them for keeping it, you know, that alive. Hourly rates ranging from three seventy-five to seven hundred dollars an hour. Okay, all right. I said sub one thousand. I, th- I imagine like six hundred's like pretty. I mean, if you had them fly for fifteen minutes. <laughs> Yeah, maybe a couple hundred dollars. Okay. I should, so. I should have done that when I was at the beach. Geeky TC podcast. Listen to us. You're just sitting on the beach there with the wife and kid and she's like, hey, check that out. Like, is that <laughs> yeah, your logo? She would have hated Maybe. That would have been yeah, that would have been something. Yeah. I would have I would have not uh I would have been talking to myself for two weeks. Just to put it that way. <laughs> Right, probably not unreasonable. Uh, anything else new? Um, not here. I think yeah, that's just it's just typical, you know, doing the the nine to five Monday through Friday and just prepping uh, stuff for Japan. I bought my carry on luggage, Ooh. so I got to do a little mock, you know, packing of that to see, you know, you know, do pre pack and see how it all fits and if what all you can bring and if you can bring anything extra or not and. How conscientious kind of, of you. Right. Well, my wife did it like two and a half months ago. So I'm I'm way behind. But that's all for me. What about you? Um, yeah, that's, you know, just back at work, trying to do all that. Uh, you know, the summer's winding down. Excited to get a little bit cooler weather, to be honest. Oh, yeah. Um, and... Uh, that always like kind of gets me into like writing moods for some reason. I don't know. Like autumn is like my writing weather, I think. And so I've been trying to um, figure out how to, I want to do a comic book or graphic novel length thing with a, a chat book of my poetry. So anywhere between, you know, 30-something to maybe 40-something poems. I think typically a, like a, a comic book is 36 pages in length. And I have I'll, no idea. I want to have a poem per page and have a different artist do each poem, like at each page, and have like kind of like a 
interesting art styles and stuff based on on my writing. I think that would be interesting, and then try to publish mm. it. I don't know, but that's that's why I've been lying in bed trying to figure out at one a.m. lately. So that makes sense. It sounds like you. Yeah. Now, and is is that something in today's day and age that you would like only go the route of getting actual artists or you know versus AI making some of the things? I would do a hundred percent artists. Yeah. I would, I would mm. pay, I would pay like the $80 or whatever per pay. It might take me a minute to like be able to afford it. And like, I'm right. not going to dish out a few thousand dollars, but right. Um, you know, maybe over a year or something like that, I would just be able to slowly accumulate that. That could be cool. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of a different, yeah. And, and would you just leave it kind of up to the artist's interpretation of the, the poem or would you kind of give them a somewhat, of a, a guiding train through that. I, I think I would tell them like, Hey, this is kind of what, um, like this poem is about this, you know, let me see your interpretation of it. Um, that kind of thing. And kind of let them run wild with it a little bit. Um, you know, I probably want to hear what they had to say before they did it, you know, like, okay, well, this is what I'm thinking for this panel and this panel and this panel. And I'd be like, oh, okay, yeah, that sounds perfect. Let me see it. Get a rough draft of sorts, a kind of a, a storyboard sort of deal. And then, yeah, you know, work. if it seems like it's going the route, then say, yeah, go for it. Yeah, that, that would be, that's kind of like what I'm interested in, just to see how that looks. But it's hard because, you know, to apparently like in comic books and, and that kind of thing, like, you know, you have to have a writer. You have to, most people, don't do there's apparently like three main parts to comic books or graphic novels the writer the artist and then the letterer so apparently like the letterer is like an important part of that like normally the people that actually put where the letters go in the boxes and the, and the that kind of thing is typically a person separate from the writer or the the actual artist themselves like the so, placement of the text within the the frames and stuff yes apparently oh. that's also like a professional job so people will you kind of need all three to do that successfully. And so, you know, cause I'd also thought I, I'm writing a, um, comic book graphic novel about one of the more recent D and D characters that I had, but set in a totally different world outside of D and D where he's like a mage hunter. And, um, you know, I, that was like one of the things, Oh God, I, I need, a, I need an artist and then you need a letterer and, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, I never even thought about the fact that, yeah, like, that there w would be a, you know, a more appropriate positioning for, I mean, it's all design, but a, a positioning for the blocks of text and where you put those in the frame of the, the comic book and everything. Because most comic books, you know, the whole page, it's all just frames of pictures and mm -hmm. stuff like there's not really like a standard book like just a block of text it's all overlaid one yeah, another exactly so yeah there's somebody that actually goes in and does that and I'm, i think there are some people that are like editors slash letterers or maybe they're artists that also does lettering but that there is often mm -hmm. many of these comics apparently there is especially i imagine in the really big productions they probably have multiple artists writers and letterers yeah and you know that the the artists and the letterers are working hand in hand, you know, because the artist is designing their photos to leave room, I'm sure, for where the text would also go, probably. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know the process of making comic books, but I, it sounds interesting. 
I know 5% more than I did a month ago. So <laughs> right. Maybe give me 20 more, 20 per 20 times 20 more time. And maybe I'll know hundred percent. I don't know what you just said. I don't know what I <laughs> 20, 20 times. I was trying to sound like of... Kevin from the office, honestly. Uh, well, the, it worked out great because I don't understand anything he's saying either. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. But, but that kind of brings us to our topic today. I told you I kind of wanted to talk uh, poetry. Yes. Um, so, and this is kind of more of like a me thing for the most part. Like I write a lot of poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a fan of several poets. I've got several poetry books. Um, you know, I'm not the most... I'm not the best writer by any stretch, obviously, because you guys are listening to me on podcasts and not reading my work because it's not out there. Um, mm. But it's definitely one of those things that's always been interesting to me. I got it from my mom. My mother is a good writer, and she's also a very good poet. I and, never knew that. Mm-hmm, she's a very good poet. And so, huh. um, you know, she's been in some competitions, and she's won those. I've entered in some competitions. I've not won any, but I, I entered into, like, the Margaret and Howard Reed Poetry Prize. Um, I'm in, a, in the running for another one that's like not been decided yet. That I'm gonna have to email them and be like, "Hey, you guys took like ten dollars for my subscription thing. You guys need to put it out there. Who won? Yeah, it's taking you guys too long to get through that. But um, I've won some national competitions for short short story and poetry as when I was younger. Um, but yeah, so now I really want to get into it. Um. It's one of those things that's like kind of like my my ultimate goal, you know, like I obviously I have my career that I want to retire from and then right. I have uh my jujitsu, you know, mm-hmm. like I wanna be a world champion in that maybe, you know, after I get my brown belt or something like that and try to make a world run. And then I also wanna be a successful podcaster with you and also play games and also be a doting father and husband. But then also I would like to publish books and right. not write. And so I always imagine us going to like a Comic-Con, especially now that, um, you know, we're doing this podcast together, like going to a Comic-Con and be able to sell like at the booth, you know, sell my own comic book at the booth. Or that whatever. would be awesome if, if that, that could happen. happen. I agree. So, yeah. Mm. Um, so do you like any poems in particular? So, yeah. Like, I'm not, when it comes to poetry, that's one of the things, like, in the traditional sense, you know, as far as, like, poets and their their poems that they've written and stuff, I'm very ignorant about a lot of it. Like, I don't know of many poets or any, you know, specific poems that I've always liked, but because, like, my only real connection to poetry is music. So mm-hmm. I'm very, very, you know, I'm very much in the in the musical world, though. So which I mean, like it's it's obvious. Like any any song, if you look at their lyrics, are pretty much poems, in some fashion, essentially. Like it, yeah. it's it's a, it's a you know poem, but to music. Um, but like one of the only, like when I think of like, you know, if I like think of a poem or a poet, the only person that like quickly comes to mind who's actually was a poet that transitioned into a musician and an artist is Watsky. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he was, you know, started out when he was younger as a spoken word poet, but then, you know, found out he could rap. And so he became, he kind of blew up in the, the rap world, um, as a, uh, sort of a spoken word poet rapper. 
and I've been following some of his stuff for many, many years. Um, yeah, you've been, you've I, introduced him to me. Yeah, I've, I've seen him live, I think, th three times. Yeah. And, yeah, some of his stuff, if you just read the lyrics on a lot of his songs, they are ingenious when it comes to some of the, like, the lines that he's written. Like, it, it is some, some, some of the stuff you got to stop and, like, think about it for a minute to really kind of understand like you're like oh i understand what he's talking about but like it takes you a minute to really even process what he said and and for me personally so like you know watsky is a rapper now and and you know to rap you must rhyme essentially right i mean and that's one of the things i like about that in particular so most a lot of modern spoken word stuff and like the 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 non rhyming non-rhyme scheme pros that they put out there i don't like you know you'll hear a lot of people with the um you know what with a snapping type of fingers and that kind of thing i like something that rhymes or has some type of rhyme scheme towards it or it has some type of almost melody that you could have um you know where because that the more the more musical it is, I feel like the, the more passion I get out of it. You know, um, there is, there, there is, and I don't mean to be hateful at all in this by any stretch. Um, it's not my goal in talking about this, but there's like one. There's like I'm, I'm gonna try to find one of her poems. Her name is Rupi Cower, and. You know, she writes, like, this is one of her poems. I do not need the kind of love that is draining. I want someone who energizes me. Hmm. That's a poem. That's It's literally four lines. And right. not, I think there can be, like, four-line poems. But that's the way all of her things are. It's like somebody, it sounds like a, a, a phone call between high school kids, you know? Like, I don't, I'm breaking up with Johnny because I just want somebody to energize. That's, like, exactly what, what it is, you know? And I'm sure she has some poems out there that are like really resonate with people, but she has all these books and they're all super short for the most part. And um, like one of them is, it, it says, and here you are living despite it all. Ruby Cower. And then that's like a whole page in a book with like a little artist rendition underneath it. Really? Yeah. And I, I, that kind of thing huh. bothers me. And you know what props to her because people buy it and she's like a famous author and a you know Amazon best-selling author and that kind of thing for poetry but I want something more from my writing you know yeah, yeah. just it, it it's it's like a my own personal uh amateur issue with that kind of thing. So I like I, get that. I, I like it that you know Watsky has like his rhyme scheme, like he he rhymes well. Um, you know I think people can get a little bit too snobbish in in poetry where they like they try to go too hard with like non rhyme like they try to go too far outside of it. You know I like things that have some type of um, structure to it for the most part. Like you know when you when you hear a haiku, you know it's a haiku. Right. And nobody's right. like, well, let me show you. I'm going to put a new kind of haiku out there. Well, it's not a haiku at that point. Right. Um, so, right. Yeah. For me, that's so for me, that's that's kind of where now I'm going to talk about some of my favorite poems and, and how they make me feel and what I think about them. And then I'm going to read some of my own. Um, and you guys can make fun of me 
uh, in your car or whatever. But that's that's how I uh, I express myself a lot of times. I've I've found that um, writing is kind of like one of those things that really you put the tears into the ink, you know, and yeah, it, it's, it's one of my favorite things. So much like my wife journals, oftentimes I write poetry. Right. So, um, I was going to say, I, I did, I it took me a minute to look it up, but I did find, um, a, one of Watsky's, it, it's not really a song. Like the recording of it is him just speaking it like poetry. So I might read some of this, uh, later as, as an ex- one example of, a, I guess if, if I were to pick out a poem that I do like, this would be probably high up on my list. Cause it's one of the few that I know, but I also think it's really cool. So I'll, I may uh, read a few excerpts from this uh, here in a little bit. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Um, so some of my mine are, I'm going to start out with some of my poetry not my poetry, but some of the poetry that I, I really enjoy. And they are popular poems for the most part. Um, like if you're into poetry, you probably know all these poems, but right. a lot of people probably haven't heard of them. You know, like when I tell people about them or like, you know, one of them is even some of the lyri- from some of the lyrics, some of the words um, or some of the lines from one of these is actually my screensaver at work. And um, yeah, so I'm going to start out with one of my favorites, and that's by Percy Shelley. And Percy Shelley is an English fella, and uh, I think it was a poetry contest for a local newspaper. And he wrote the poet poem Ozymandias. And mm, I've heard that name before. It's it's been used quite a bit. You know, um, for example, I know there's a popular reading of. Ozymandias by Brian Cranston because the author uh, or the sorry the the Vince Gilligan of Breaking Bad really liked the poem and he I think he one of the last episodes of of Breaking Bad was called Ozymandias and so I think the last season um, so they had this like really dramatic reading by Brian Cranston that you've seen some that I've seen people overlay over things outside of Breaking Bad but it's a pretty the the theme of Ozymandias is that everything fades with time, you know, and empires all turn to dust, you know. And so I'll read this one for you. And it's, I met a traveler from an antique land who said, two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them, on the sand, half sunk, a shattered visage lies, whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command Tell that its sculptor well those passions read, which yet survive. Well, well, those passions read, which yet survive. Stamped upon these lifeless things, the hand that mocked them and the heart that fed. And on the pedestal, these words appear My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Nothing beside remains around the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare. The lone and level sands stretch far away. So, you know, with Percy, you know, you talk about, so Ozymandias apparently I think was a name for King, was a different name for what we call King Tutankhamun II and of Egypt. And so, yeah, you, I, you know, I actually kind of want a tattoo. Like there's a, a famous painting of like Napoleon seeing the Sphinx. And I almost want a, that 
painting on my arm, like a tattoo with that part of that poem, because, you know, everything does like, you know, time, time is the great, um, the real enemy of everything, right? Time destroys everything. Everything goes away in time. And that's kind of the point of this, you know, you've got, you know, this huge statue crumbled in the sands, laying on the ground with this placard that says, I am the king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty in despair. And, you know, now we're seeing it from the future, or Percy's describing it from as the traveler from the future, who says, you know, it, nothing beside is remains. Right. On the level sand stretch far away. And I, I, I really like that. That's one of my favorite, like, empires fall, all things go away and it's nothing yeah, it's, is, is permanent forever. Yeah. So one of my favorites, um, huge fan of that one. Sorry for kind of stumbling through it. Um, no, fine. so I don't want to, do and, and who is that? So that was yeah. Percy Shelley. Percy Shelley. Mm-hmm. And okay. I, I'm not looking at why he wrote it. I, I've, I've researched why he wrote it before. I'm pretty sure it was actually part of a newspaper competition that he wrote that in. And there was actually surprisingly, and it might have been themed, um, but there was actually surprisingly, I think when you look up into there was actually another similarly written poem from another author um, that also appeared in the same newspaper, paper, which was odd. So... Uh, my next poem, which is also, I think, a pretty famous poem. So Ozymandias, pretty famous. Uh, this one is also a pretty famous poem. I think that most people have at least heard lines from, and that is Do Not Go Gentle Into That Good Night by Dylan Thomas, who is a Welsh poet. And um, I believe, and I'm not looking up, like I'm, I'm going off just memory here. I'm pretty sure Dylan Thomas wrote it as his father was dying. And so that's kind of like an ode to that. And it goes, do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Though wise men at their end, no dark is right. Because their words had forked no lightning, they do not go gentle into that good night. Good men, the last wave by, crying how bright. Their frail deeds might have danced in a green bay. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Wild men who caught and sang the sun in flight and learned too late they grieved it on its way. Do not go gentle into that good night. Grave men near death who see with blinding sight. Blind eyes could blaze like meteors and be gay. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. And you, my father, there on the sad height, curse, bless me now with your fierce tears, I pray. Do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. So love that yeah. one, obviously. I mean, that's just like human. For me, it's just like human. Uh, just keep on going, you know, like it's pushing through things that are difficult. Uh, right. You know, it, it definitely is like a. Um, a like a war song against death, I guess, you know, it's, it's, it's like a, a battle song against the ultimate demise that everybody faces as we look into, like, we are all going to die. Yeah. It'd be easy point. to just lay down and give up and, and exactly faced with, you know, ultimate challenge and hardship and even death. It's, it's real 
I mean, in anything you're doing, it's real easy to give up on anything that you're doing. And most yes. times it's hard to push through and accomplish whatever task it is you're doing. But, you know, every time you can accomplish a task, it feels good. And you're, you know, glad that you did it. But many times, you know, there, there's not many tasks that don't come with some level of hardship in some kind. Yes. And, and and I'll add this one in here as well. This is by William Ernest Henley. It's called Invictus. And it's a famous poem. It's famously Nelson Mandela's uh, favorite poem that he often read while he was imprisoned in South Africa. And the movie Invictus um, that talks about it has Nelson Mandela and him taking over as president in South Africa and the the South African rugby team at the time um, is titled after that. And this is by William Ernest Henley, who was an English author. And often, from what I understand, I'm not huge on most of his work, but he is a um, – a lot of his works deal with inner strength and perseverance. And, you know, I think that's one of the things that resonate most with us. I think when people get into a spot where they are down, people find comfort in quotes. People find comfort in the spoken word and music lyrics, you know. And um, this is one of those that obviously has inspired a lot of people. Hmm. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of fate, my head is bloody, but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade. And yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishment the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Ooh. Yeah, big fan of that. I mean, how could you not be? I mean, it's, it is one of those things that's like, you know, ultimately you, it is up to you, you know? Mm. And, um, you know, it, it, it's, it sings a perseverance, you know, being bludgeoned by fate, the, the, the wording there, you know, like you can see it, you can feel it. And, mm, um, bludgeoned by fate. That's like that one, that one pokes in my heavy. brain a little bit. Like it's heavy. That it kind of almost implies that like, you know, at least to me, what it, you know, would imply is something along the lines of that, you know, fate is what it says it is. It's fate. It's, you know, it's destined to happen. It's it's going to happen regardless on if you want it to or not. And so, and you may, you know, spend part of your life trying to escape this inevitable fate, but never, no matter how much you try to escape it, fate just keeps coming back and just keeps bludgeoning you with itself over and over again. Exactly. And yet, you, st you take it in stride and... I am mm -hmm. the captain of my fate, or I am the, or I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. It's just mm, chef's kiss. It's one of those. It's it's some of the. It's the reason why it's a famous. It's a classic. People love it. It's just such a good thing, and that's why Nelson Mandela loved it so much. Because I mean, I, I imagine him being imprisoned. You know, he's having to keep himself. Um, or maybe he didn't love it. Maybe that never happened at all. Oh, the Mandela effect? Yeah, maybe he died before prison. <laughs> that, that's actually what it is. That he just didn't like that poem. That's where it started. 
Yeah, well, that makes that whole movie with, I think it's got Morgan Freeman in it. You know, I, I've seen yeah. Morgan Freeman actually quote that from Hart. He messes up a little bit, just like I actually changed a word in there just because I'm used to saying it a different way. Because um, mm. I can pretty much do that one from top of my head. So actually, as I was reading it, I accidentally changed one of the words in there. But Morgan Freeman loved it as well. There's like a good like 60 minutes doc where he's talking about, uh, I think, the Invictus movie. Uh, or something to that effect. He's being interviewed, and he just spouts it off the top of his head. And, of course, in his voice, I mean, it right. doesn't get better than that. Right. So now we're actually... So we're going to move on to my favorite poet. So Ooh. my... I have his collected works. Um, I have other people's collected works. I've got, like, WB Yeats and, you know, a lot of people. Um, so surprise, it's not WB Yeats. But this is Wilfred Owen. And not Wilford Brimley, not Wilford Brimley. Wilfred Owen is my favorite poet born in 1893. He was also an Englishman and he died in 1918. Do you remember what happened in 1918, Josh? Well, it was near world war one. That was the end of world war one. And he was a British soldier. And so most of his poetry is wartime poetry. So he was dabbling Mm. in poetry and um, he was wounded once and met another poet named Siegfried Sassoon, who was already a renowned English poet who has amazing works. I'm not reading any of his today, but I'm a big fan of him. And he worked with Wilfred Owen actually in the hospital and um, helped him to work on one of his more famous poems, which I'll read in a second. But Wilfred Owen died a week before the armistice was signed in combat. So the day that the arm, everybody finds out that the war is over in the UK, Wilfred Owen's mom gets the letter. Your son has died in combat, you know, in France fighting somewhere. And, um, the fact that he died in combat and his wartime poetry is so poignant and powerful and, you know, anti-war for the most part, but it also addresses the, you know, kind of that band of brothers thing. You know, there's, it's very well like told how oftentimes in combat or, you know, in stressful situations, it's usually, you know, it's, it's not about the United States. It's not about whatever. It's about the man next to you. And you get that a lot from that. And also this kind of like, um, the frivility of it, like, you know, when it comes to, like, you have all these rich men and powerful people, you know, who are sending young men to die. And so that's actually the first poem I want. It's one of his lesser-known poems that I'm going to start with. Um, okay. And it is a—it's called The Parable of the Old Man and the Young. And so the entire thing, for the most part, is going to sound like a Bible scripture. Because Ooh. it is, he is playing off of the, in the Bible, when Abraham takes his son to sacrifice him, and the angel appears and provides him with a sacrifice of a goat instead, or lamb, or whatever, and says, hey, take the lamb. And God had provided for Abraham, right? That's so, that is what he plays off of. So, it starts like this. So, Abram rose and claved the wood and went, and took the fire with him and a knife. And as they sojourned both of them together, Isaac, the firstborn, spake and said, My father, behold the preparations, fire and iron, 
but where the la- where the lamb for this burnt offering? Then Abraham bound the youth with belts and straps and builded parapets and trenches there and stretched forth the knife to slay his son. When lo, an angel came and called upon him out of heaven, saying, Lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do anything to him. Behold, a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. Offer the ram of pride instead of him. But the old man would not sow, but slew his son, and half the seed of Europe, one by one. And, yeah, you know, <laughs> for me, it, it, it is like the, the old men telling people what to do and the young men dying. And that is, you know, at the very end of mm. that, it speaks so well to, you know, like he just ignores the lamb and kills his son. And it doesn't make sense, right? Like that's the whole right. point. It doesn't make sense. And um, I often think, and I think we'll do, I think we should do like a military history or something uh, or several of them over different time periods episode. But when you think about the, horrors of war i think they are at world war one i think arguably people would say it's, it's got to be one of the worst things that's ever happened to mankind because you had yeah. what was you know the first day of world war one the french army lost on the first day day one something around twenty thousand men Jesus. in like one battle because they wore they wore bright blue tunics with red trousers, right? Red trousers, which allowed German and Central Powers artillerymen to correct fire. Seeing all these men in red, like these t- horribly camo, you know. Yeah, when you think uh, about colors. it in modern modern tactical applications, like that ain't what you want to be wearing. No, and so that's that's what you saw as you saw this clash of upper aristocracy. Uh, and this kind of Victorian era uh, gentleman's attitudes interposed with gas and machine guns and planes and tanks and um, and artillery, you know, millions of shells being fired in a day, like millions, you know. Um, It is insane to think of. And so as a young man, you know, if you're a young man and you get drafted to fight or you get conscripted or you join the war effort yourself, oftentimes you're going based on romantic notions of what you have heard in the past or what's written in books. There was no TV. They had no idea what to expect, right? There was no television saying, you know, they had no idea what a machine gun sounded like. And you take these young men, you know, from like the quiet countryside of England or from, you know, the the mountains of Germany and you throw them into trenches and they kill each other, but on the orders of older men and you know, what do they do on Christmas? They get out and play soccer with each other. You know, I always thought that was a great story that they did that. And then we'd like play soccer with each other and stuff and could set aside the war for a moment in time. And they could, but you know, the, they had to go back to fighting each other because old men said too. And that leads me to like the next poem by Wilfred Owen. And this is his most famous one. There's another one that I really, really enjoy. It's called Anthem for Doomed Youth. And um, it has some really great alliteration in it that I like at the beginning, but this is his most famous one. 
and it's titled Dolce et Decorum Est, and Dolce et Decorum Est Pro Patria Mori, which will come up at the end of this poem, <laughs> is Latin. You say? <laughs> it's uh, Latin. That makes sense. And I'm I'm not looking this up, so if, if all of our Latin listeners, all of our Romans who have come to the future and are, are you know, speak Latin, um, the it loosely translates to it is a good and fitting thing or good and honorable thing to die for one's country. So dolce et decorum est pro patria mori means is a good and fitting thing to die for one's country. So it kind of plays up that nationalism role a little bit mm. um, as it goes on. But Wilfred Owen's imagery in this poem, I can, you can tell that this guy has seen these things and it, and he is, it is, the like perfect anti-war poem from like a soldier's perspective as he talks about the actual horrors of the things that he's faced. So this one's slightly longer than any of the other ones I really plan to read. But this is Dolce et Decorum Est by Wilfred Owen. Bent double like old beggars under sacks. Knock-kneed, coughing like hags, we cursed through sludge, till on the haunting flares we turned our backs and towards our distant rests began to trudge. Men marched asleep. Many had lost their boots, but limped on, bloodshod. All went lame, all blind. Drunk with fatigue, deaf even to the hoots of gas shells dropping, so dropping softly behind. Gas! Gas, quick voice, an ecstasy of fumbling, fitting the clumsy helmets just in time. But someone still was yelling, out and stumbling, and floundering like a man in fire or lime. Dim through the misty panes and thick green light, as under a green sea I saw him drowning. In all my dreams, before my helpless sight, he plunges at me, guttering, choking, drowning. If in some smothering dreams you too could pace behind the wagon that we flung him in and watch the white eyes writhing in his face, his hanging face, like a devil sick of sin. If you could hear at every jolt the blood come gargling from the froth-corrupted lungs, obscene as cancer, bitter as the cud, incurable sores on innocent tongues, my friend, you would not tell with such high zest to children ardent for some desperate glory. The old lie, dolce et decorum est, pro patria mori. The imagery, you know, yeah. we see, you can, Lay that out for me. You know, everybody's seen our, you know, everybody's watched All Quiet on the Western Front or 1917 or World War One or World War Two movies and the, the idea of an exhausted infantryman sludging through walking on patrol going back to the rest and the more now that these are experienced veterans the sound of explosions doesn't even phase them they're not even taking cover and they're ill-equipped and you know fatigued and then the call comes out and it literally is gas exclamation points giant all caps gas exclamation point quick boys and everybody's fumbling because now the gas is coming in and they put it on and then we talk about dim through the misty panes and thick green light. We can see the gas in the green light, and we're looking through those misty, like panes of glass fitted to World War One 
gas masks and one guy can't get his mask on. And they see him drowning in his own fluids as this gas kills him slowly. And then, you know, he talks about, you know, this is it. If you could, if you could see what I saw over there, if you saw what we, we threw him in the back of this thing and see him writhing in pain, dying slowly, blood coming up from his, you know, the froth corrupted lungs, you would not say, well, he died, you know, nationalism died for his country. It's one of those things that, you know, like I, I do think there is obviously like it is, it is in the grand scheme of things, this man did lose his life for his country. Mm-hmm. Um, but as somebody that was over there, Wilfred Owen, you know, he sees the personal lives like he's not counting, you know, he's not like uh, a British officer where he's counting. like I'm throwing an entire division at him. Hopefully we don't lose too many, you know. These are his friends, you know, that he's seeing and that he's dying with and, he, you know, he ultimately did die with. And knowing that Wilfred Owen died in combat as a British soldier and wrote these poems, it just, I guess it just adds more to it, you know, that he wrote these things. And still, that's the other thing, too, is important to say that he did not flee or desert or go anywhere else. Like, he was completely aware and could and could talk through the horrors of the things that he was facing and his other men were facing. And, um, and yet he stayed, and yet he fought, and then he died. And so Wilfred Owen has been, is my favorite poet, um just because of the peril of the old man and young, you, you, you think about that all the time. It even has applications outside of war. You know, it has applications like you work at a car dealership and there's the boss that just doesn't understand the modern day practices and he just can't get it through his mind, you know, and he's just going to do it his old school way or whatever. You know, the, there's all these things that you can see in just general humanity in the way that he writes. But uh, Dolce de Cormes is my favorite poem. And... It's one of those poems that when you think about it and you look at it and you just, you, you see it, the, the imagery is there. You can't help but think about like how bad that must have been, especially as you get older in life. You know, I feel I've seen some bad stuff in my life. Um, and I think that also makes it more vivid to me um, where you've seen people dying or whatever. And so you, you understand, that from a, like a slightly different place than somebody that hasn't. But as you get older, you start to understand more that life is a fleeting thing. And yeah. you, I believe you can start to like really appreciate that kind of stuff more. That makes sense. I get that. Did you like that, that one? That one's, re- that one's really good. Yeah. It's really good. So yeah, like on my computer at work, I've got that, like the Dolce at Decorum and It's got like a black and white photo with like, you know, British soldiers walking in a trench line. Um, nice. Yeah, big fan. Big fan of that one. So the Wilfred Owen, my favorite poet, I've got his collected works. Really good one. And uh, I'm going to go from what's kind of like a negative anti-war sentiment to a more uh, pro-heroic sentiment here real quick. A Sabaton and- song. <laughs> sort of, kind of. Um, so this is called, so I'm not going to read the entire thing to you because we would be here for like, it would take me like an hour. I've actually got the book staged right here. 
This is The Lays of Ancient Rome by Thomas Babington. And oh, geez. Um, yeah. So this entire thing is a giant epic poem. And the line, the most famous line out of it is a very popular thing. It's been used in, in, in media quite a bit, um, but still not well known enough, I don't think. And it takes place, so pre, like early, this, I think this is early Republican Rome, before Rome had control of the entire uh, Italian peninsula. There were other kingdoms and smaller, like, you know, war bands and stuff that they had to go up against, especially in the north with the Etruscans and, um, you know, the, the Gauls and Celts and, like, some of those guys to the north who didn't like Rome's expansion. And this talks about a combined effort where all these armies of different kingdoms all fell upon Rome the actual the actual city and besieged it and they got there quick and there's almost no hope they're seeing this huge army on the horizon and the you know Rome is on let's see what is it on the it's on the banks of the Tiber I think Tiber River I'm not sure yes it's the Tiber River so there's a long bridge. There was a large bridge. So the, Rome used the Tiber River as a defensive, like, moat, essentially, right? And there was a long bridge there. And as the vanguard, the approaching first line of soldiers, you know, which are typically, like, the more heavy advanced soldiers came, um, it gets to this point in the book. And it talks about um, the consul, you know, who is one of the Roman leaders, right? The con there was usually two consuls, C-O-N-S-U-Ls, who were the, for better or worse, almost like emperor kind of, you know, they were the, they, they had absolute, not absolute, but they had, they were the most powerful men in the Roman Senate. Senate. They were elected. And um, it was kind of a weird process where sometimes one person, like they would have control for so many months and then the other person could come through and just totally get rid of everything they did. You know, but they both were consuls of Rome. But in this guise, the consul and much of like the senatorial and equite class are are ready to fight, and um, they're realizing at this point like it's hopeless. And so I'll start here. But the consul's brow was sad, and the consul's speech was low, and darkly looked he at the wall, and darkly at the foe. Their van will be upon us before the bridge goes down. And if they once might win the bridge, what hope to save the town? Then out spake brave Horatius, the captain of the gate. To every man upon this earth, death cometh sooner or late. And how can man die better than facing fearful odds for the ashes of his fathers and the temples of his gods? And for the tender mother who dandled him to rest, and for the wife who nurses his baby, at her breast, um, and four holy maidens who feed the eternal flame to save them from false sextus, what wrought the that wrought the deed of shame. So um, he then goes on to say, you know, hew down the bridge, Sir Consul, with all the speed you may. I, with two more to help me, will hold the foe in play. And yon straight path a thousand may well be stopped by three. 
Now who will stand on either hand and keep the bridge with me? So this is about the brave Horatius. His name is Horatius Cocles, C-O-C-H-L-E-S. And Horatius Cocles was, you know, I think they... I don't know if he was considered a centurion or if he was part of the, the senatorial class, but he was obviously the captain of the gate. And, you know, in Roman folklore or whatever, he, like, led a very brazen um, defense of the bridge so they could, the Romans could cut the bridge down and the advancing Etruscan army could not advance across and, and besiege or, like, you know, actually get into the city. And he fought at the end of the bridge— keeping with, you know, two other men, keeping them from getting across. And then once the bridge goes down, he's by him. He's with these two guys on the other side of the Tiber River against an army. And so, you know, famously, he jumps in the river, all of them do, and they swim across the Tiber back to Rome. Wow. But, you know, in that, you know, I think it's one of those things, like, this is the most famous line of it, you know, to every pawn, every man upon this earth, death cometh sooner or late. And how can man die better than facing fearful odds for the ashes of his fathers and the temples of his gods? And I think that's just, first of all, it rhymes. It's like a beautiful melody. It sounds so great. And, um, you know, it does stoke that kind of like her- heroism in you. And I really like it. As a matter of fact, when I played our... Um, in our Sunday campaign, our Dungeons and Dragons campaign, I actually riffed a poem based on this as part of like mm. our 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 group that had been fighting, you know, as like a you know like a hero- heroic tale of our our party, and based on this, and so um, yeah, it's one of my favorites. It's a long book. I mean, it's not long book, but it's 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 long for a poem, but it is. The fact that a lot of it's rhyme scheme, like a lot of it, you could hear in there, there was, there was a lot yeah. of uh, rhyming going on. The, the fact that there's so much of that for as long as it is and dealing with these old school names like, you know, False Sextus and, you know, then out spake Spurious Larcius, a Ramnian proud was he. Lo, I will stand at thy right hand and keep the bridge with thee. Like, it's pretty that's impressive tough. to write something to write that yeah, long, you tough. know, and he did it and it's super impressive. So that's yeah, crazy. So it is. So Thomas Babington, the lays of ancient Rome, um, interesting thing. And Horatius Cockley's, you know, it's a cool story to talk about, you know, to be fair, like, I feel like we, we, we think there's been a lot of Roman stuff out there, but I really haven't seen like, like a legitimate good Roman movie or series. I mean, I liked Rome, HBO's Rome, but I would love to see a movie about Horatius Cockley's in pre-imperial armor, you know, like with probably acting as a hoplite with, you know, not even a sword going out there and fighting at the end of a bridge as like a, you know, last stand. Hmm. That could be, that could be a pretty cool movie seeing that, uh, you know, last stand mentality kind of thing yeah we well, i think that's, you know we that kind ahead. of bravery that kind of bravery just it, it really i think it makes everybody like oh they make yeah, for those we, great epic tales like that like through the you know 300 of thermopylae like same kind of thing this like last stand sort of great you know overcoming did you a, say thermopylae 
because well, I'm not, I'm only saying that because. So I actually I didn't say the, you're wrong. No, you said it exactly right. So so one of the poems that I, I'll, I'll read here in a second. Actually, I might read it now after we get done talking about this. Is a poem by me, and it's actually yeah. a poem about Thermopylae. Well, hey, um, well, what I didn't know? know that. But yeah, because it does, it does stoke some inner passion in people and people, I think there is some type of like, even in looking at the earlier poems, like, you know, like, uh, you know, I am the master of my faith, I'm the kid of soul, those kind of things where you have the inner strength and pushing through the difficult things and facing your own death is like the hardest thing that you could do, I think, you know, or protecting other people in that it's like one of those more powerful emotions that people have out there and, and why we respect so many people who have sacrificed their life to help other people. Um, so, you know, when I, when I imagine that King Leonidas at, at Thermopylae, um, what he faced was like, you ha- it doesn't matter, you know, the Spartan military heritage is played up a little bit too strong. It is very famous in like our culture, but the Spartans didn't have the most winning record to be fair. They had just had, they had a very warlike, um, you know, country. Like they were very, like the, the men who were citizens were, that's their, was their job was war and the women were very powerful and they held land and, you know, um, the helots, the slaves and, all these kind of different tribes in the Laconian region were, were part of it. But it's Rome, Sparta didn't win every battle it was in, and Spartans were still people. You know, they were just dudes. They were just guys. They bled. They died. They were, you know, for there were times in their in the history of Sparta where they were better trained and better soldiers than the, the more levied troops of other surrounding Greek cities. But they were just dudes. And I think that's what makes it even more impressive is the fact that they remained behind, a rear guard action to prevent the Persian force from coming through in a pretty advantageous position. But the thing that we don't realize and what we don't see a lot of because the, the, the legend of the 300 is played up so much is that the Spartans weren't alone. They weren't alone to begin with and they weren't alone on the last day. So um, the initial battles um, for the first few days, I think there was something around estimates of like, heard from like 2,500 to five to 6,000 other Greeks, they're still smaller in comparison to the Persian army. I've heard higher numbers than that, and I've heard lower numbers than that. Um, but it, it was the rear guard action. They're like, okay, the rest of the Greeks need to leave. We're going to stay here. But they stayed with a group. I can't remember which Greek city it was that had kind of turned traitor. And uh, Leonidas had realized that and put them kind of in a crappy position. So they would have to, they would kind of, they're like, Hey, all right, you guys are going to stay. Cause you guys kind of turned traitor. You're going to die here. Same as we are. Um, and then the other group of men that stayed was there were 700 thespians and not actors based on like the guy named thespia or whatever. Um, this is from the Greek city state of thespia, thesape. And when you go, and I've not been, but if you were to go to Thermopylae today, you will see the the statue of Leonidas, you know, go, you know, wanderer passing by, tell them that 300 Spartans here to their oath now lie or something like that. I forget what it says. Um, and then you will see this really weird looking statue of a winged torso. You would think that it's like destroyed by time, kind of. 
a very you'll see a Greek you'll see a statue that has a wing and no head, no legs. Um, the chest is outstretched and no arms. And that mm. is a monument in the same place as the one to Leonidas to the 700 Thespians who died at Thermopylae because the 300 soldiers that Leonidas took with him were the bodyguard, the king's bodyguard, right? The 700 Thespians that stayed there were made up the almost the entirety of Thesipay's hoplite force, like they're almost their entire force. So when they fell, Thes- Thesipay was wiped off the face of the map. Because oh, wow. they were they were next in line, right? They were like next in line to get conquered as the Persians moved through on the way down. And so their sacrifice was arguably greater because you know the, the Spartan army was much larger. King Leonidas died, yes, but he had he had sons, and there were two kings. Sparta had two kings. They were di- they were a diadochi. So they had or not diadochi, but they were like a diarchy or whatever. They had two kings. So it wasn't like they were kingless. And it wasn't like he didn't have anything, but the 700 thespians, they were, they were there. So in this poem that I have, um, I, wanna, I wish I could find a picture of it uh, to send you real quick, but the, I based it, the poem title on the, the statue that's been placed there in, in Thermopylae. It's called Headless and Proud. Oh, nice. And the reason why they, the, the, the statue that they have there is based on the god Eros, like Cupid, right? Because mm, that was like gotcha. the, their pat- their patron god, essentially. And the the outward chest apparently sac- it, it has something to do with their willingness to sacrifice. Like they put their chest out there. The fact that it's missing the arms and the leg or head has something to do with like the the um you know the sacrifice that they made. The fact that it only has one wing. So that's essentially where this poem's coming from. Okay. So this is me, so don't make fun of me in the comments. Um, <laughs> but this is one of my poems, Headless and Proud. There stood 300, and here they bled, each man holding until they reached their end, a statue erected of a warrior in armor clad, a shield, a proud crest, and a spear overhand. This century stands saying little as is laconic. Nearby sits a scene I find just as iconic. For more than 300 stood in the past that day, as some 700 thespians with their lives did pay. Clad in black, 700, the bulk of their hosts, hundreds against thousands, they locked shields and remained at their post. Fighting in the phalanx, these Hellenic brothers unite. There was no question that this rear guard could not survive the night. Even as brave Leonidas lay bleeding on the ground, Demophilus of Thesipay rallied his spears doing his best to make Eros proud. Like a jagged coast battling the ocean's mightiest waves, both Hellenes and the men from the east were nothing if not brave. We cannot walk the streets of Thesipay to this day, as for the heroic sacrifice their entire land was made to pay. So as we look upon that headless idol with one wing, chest puffed with pride, remember that here in antiquity, these 700 men, for, all, for the sake of all others, willingly died. Wow. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. 
Um, so yeah, that was, that's one of mine. Cause I, I find it a really neat scene, right. You know, and I think people that go there probably aren't familiar with it. I think a lot of people aren't familiar with that at all, unless they're really deep into history or maybe they've been there on vacation and they're like, why is, who's this, who's this little right. guy over here? You know, who's this weird statue to? I, I mean, I've never heard about thing. that. Yeah. And I played all of Assassin's Creed Odyssey. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they don't have the thespians in there. Partially because they all got wiped off the face of the map. But, um, right. yeah, you know. Um, that's pretty good, though. I like thank that. You. Thank you. So, yeah, that's one of my, that's one of the ones I would love to have as, like, you know, I, I see it as, like, a comic book piece. And I think it would be neat to have uh, in my comic book. I think that would be a fun one for someone to, you know, to animate draw. as well. To draw. Like, yeah. To put some artistic styling on that in a comic book style fashion, I could I could kind of picture that. That would be that would be awesome. Um, well, cool man, I like that. Thank you. That makes me feel good. Um, one of the other poems, so I, I'll have two that are kind of be honorable mentions um, that, that I'm big fans of. Obviously, one is the Charge of the Light Brigade by Alfred Lloyd Tennyson, and very famous poem. Um, you know, half a league, half a league, half a league onward, all in the valley of death for the 600 for the light brigade, that kind of thing. I, the last line is one of my favorite things. And it's about the, the British, uh, light cavalry, uh, battalion or brigade, I guess it's, it is called the charge of light brigade brigade being, being ordered to charge mistakenly against Russian guns and, um, Crimea when they were, when the, the, the British and the French are fighting the uh, um, Russian forces. And this is the battle of Balaklava or Balaklava or whatever. And um, the last line is my favorite thing. So they all charge and most of them don't come away with, you know, they, they, yeah. a lot of them die running head on into grape shot. And uh, when can their glory fade? Oh, the wild charge they made all the world wondered honor the charge they made honor the light brigade noble 600 there's a lot of alliteration there's like a lot of really good description in there talking about them you know driving into the guns but i love at the end of it, it's like you know honor honor this silly thing that they they shouldn't have done but they did um charging into something that was pretty rough you know yeah but uh and that's a famous one i think a lot of people see that in school high school college for sure um the last one that's not my own uh, is one that my wife has actually made me like a little thing for. And it's called the Japanese Maple, Ooh. and it's by Clive James. Um, Clive James, this is his death poem, by the way. So he was dying, and he wrote this poem. Which so that that first of all adds some like, you know, he he knew he had cancer and that he was dying, and so he wrote this. And he was an Australian like broadcaster, writer, lyricist. Uh, um, and he worked and lived in the United Kingdom. And he lived in Australia. So I'm not super familiar with like a lot of his other works, but okay. this one, this one always got me. It's not super long, so I might read it. Um, the entire thing. This is called Japanese Maple. Your death now, your death near now, is of an easy sort. Slow, so slow a fading out brings no real pain. Breath growing short is just uncomfortable. You feel the drain of en oh, sorry. You feel the drain of energy, but thought and sight remain enhanced. In fact, when did you ever see so much sweet beauty as when fine rain falls on that small tree and saturates your brick back garden walls? So many amber rooms and mirror halls, 
Even more lavish as the dusk descends, this glistening illuminates the air. It never ends. Whenever the rain comes, it will be there, beyond my time, but now I take my share. My daughter's choice, the maple tree, is new. Come autumn, and its leaves will turn to flame. What I must do is live to see that. That will end the game for me, though life continues all the same. Filling the double doors to bathe my eyes, the final flood of colors will live on as my mind dies, burned by my vision of a world that shone so brightly at last, and then was gone. Very nice. So yeah, once again, just kind of like there to, you know, <laughs> he he's dying of cancer. His daughter got on a maple tree, you know. He's now looking at things through a different lens, you know, and he... That's his, like, I, I just need to make it till the leaves change, you know? Right. I just wanna, that's, that's the last thing I want to see. Dang. Uh, that was that his one, death poem. That one's crazy. That, yeah, I really like that one quite a bit. That's one of my, my favorites for sure. Um, for sure, so, yeah. I like that one. So, that, that, that's awesome. Those are all, like, they all kind of, th- there's a wide ranging of different styles there. And and theme themes and different stuff, but like it it even still you can kind of see like how like even though if they're different topics and stuff, poetry just still has a a familiarity to it. I think there is like a and I think honestly a lot of people that write in that sense, I think I think a lot of people that that are artists or writers or musicians there's often i think specifically with poets there's often a lot of melancholy with that you know because a lot of times you're pulling so much from the heart and yeah. and it's the same it as music one, yes yeah exactly you see a lot of musicians the same way yeah that like you can tell that when someone's just writing something that they're just putting words on a page that rhyme or whatever is one thing but then like there's the ones that even just reading it like that, you're like, oh, that hits different. Yeah. Or like you can tell, like there's there's something behind that, what they're saying. For sure. Yeah. The, you can tell the difference between, you know, a Cardi B song and, you know, like a and somebody else's music. You know what I'm saying? Like something that's right. out, out there and is meant to like, you know, is coming from a place that the Richmond, heart, north of Richmond. Yeah. It's kind of hot that, right now. That, that dude singing that song. thing is is coming from a him him going through struggles. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it, he's not having a fun time. You know, he's no. so he's singing from a place of hurt. I, that resonates with us, but it's not what we always want. We do like it when people sing and write about things that are happy. You know, like there's one one of my there's a a poem I can't recite it off memory for the top of my head. It's like you know my heart leaps up when I behold a rainbow in the sky. You know this whole thing. Like there are a lot of happy and glorious poems, but I feel like it's easy to take that in and deal with being happy more than it is. And I feel like it's a luxury to write a poem or write a song sometimes when you're happy. Right. As is, as when you pour your heart out onto the page and just see what rhymes, you know, that's sometimes where I feel like poets go to. And I don't want to throw myself in with the best of poets by any stretch, but that's definitely what happens with me. I think that's definitely what people, when they write things, even people that write journals or diaries and talk about these kind of things. I think it's probably pretty easy to write something when you're set, when you're happy, but when you're writing, when you're sad or 
heartbroken or going through a rough time, those are the things that are actually they're very poignant and they're coming from a place that is like one of the most human emotions, I think. Oh, for sure. And like a lot of kind of different things. That's one thing I like about like a lot of, you know, mentioned Watsky earlier is, you know, his writing that he does, there's a good bit of it that's very comedic. That a lot of it's still coming from some mm-hmm. place kind of thing, but like he puts a kind of a comedic spin on a lot of it that is still feels out of the norm kind of thing like there's still you can still feel and hear the poetry there because of the depth of some of the things he's saying stuff but then the specific words he uses or the way he talks about it is just like funny yeah and like that to me is impressive too to be able to take something like that but still make it kind of entertaining in a way yeah i like you've you've you, i've got his music from you and yeah. i like it and I, he is very good he raps very fast and uh it's definitely intelligent stuff. It's not just, you know, what was right. that one T-Pain thing, like rhyming mansion with Wisconsin or something like that. <laughs> you know, like it's it's well thought out, you know. Right. And so I'm um, a big fan. Do you care if I read some of the this one I have pulled up here? Yeah, that's fine. I've got four more of my own. That's pretty much it. So, yeah, go for it. Okay. So, yeah, like what I liked about this one is there is a like a live reading of him doing it at some event. I don't know if it was just during one of his shows a long time ago or something, but it's on this, it looks like on a stage in like a school gymnasium or something, like a little thing with a little crowd in front of it. But the, the topic of it, it's, it's, it's kind of set up as almost like one half of a rap battle sort of thing, like, like projected towards like other rappers or something, but which could almost come off as seeming kind of like boastful or whatever, but in the live performance that he's doing, he has a full-length mirror up on stage, uh-huh. and he's doing it into the mirror at himself. Oh, that's that's interesting. So it's like just hearing it, you could think, oh, man, he's kind of like stuck or whatever. But then you realize on a deeper level, he's like kind of talking about himself in the same vein. Okay. And it's just like, dang, but this one, yeah, this one always always got me. I'm just... I'm. I don't, may not read the whole thing, but I'll read it's some of it here. I thought it was good. Um, and the title of it, like it, it, the way it shows up on the album and on the lyrics thing here, it's just an asterisk. Okay. It's, it's like not that. actually a name of a th- okay. thing or anything. But it goes, I don't want to brag, but I spent so much time at the top that I got caught for loitering. I insulated my house with swag and got swag poisoning. The righteous path is like my waist, real narrow. I sprint along pushing on my swagger in a wheelbarrow. But I'm over swagger. See these poser rappers? Think they're goblins, but they're goobers, so I gobble them. You battle me, you're going to have a white boy problem. And I guess I should stop at nothing, not a rock'em sock'em knock'em dead, but I don't want to waste my breath. I've got respect for oxygen. And I don't want to walk a block in Waka Flocka's moccasins. The rappy or the heap of crappy rap online's colossal. It could topple. I don't know why I bother to scoff at the debacle, but you're so awful that I have to LOL and raffle. You're a lost dog. I'm a boss hog. And Damsfelt. Actually, um, I really need to hold my pants up and I'd rather use the champ's belt. Or I'll just go nudist in my human pelt. I mean... I think it's super that you're looking for a tutor or you could use the help. I'm wiser than my age, and so I plagiarize my future self. 
which that line particularly there like i always thought was like that's some deep stuff i'm wiser than my age and so i plagiarize my future self mm-hmm. what that, that, that almost doesn't make sense but it's awesome no. and it continues i'm not ashamed of intelligence i came to the game with all relevant elements a liquid flow so solid that I had to gas in them. I go bananas just to boost my dosage of potassium. <laughs> <laughs> to push it to the maximum, to pop my pecs and flex and be excellent. You know, I get it. I'd be pissed off too if I got bested by a thin, self-deprecating, lisping Jew. But what's a boy to do? Which he's Jewish, so it makes sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, I only end my pieces so the audience can get closure. I go ham and it's still kosher. I mean, if you're unsure if my boaster brag is a joke, I'll try to let you know in subtle ways. My punchlines are lost baggage. You should get them in a couple days. Which also is like, dang. Mm-hmm. But hey, there's no cipher I won't jump in. I'm liable to say something. Screw a stand-in. I do all my own stunting. No steroids or supplements. Me and the games, an odd sight, like non-white Republicans. Mm-hmm. Herman Cain's. Bobby Jindal's. I can't explain it, so I just throw in some Illuminati symbols. Mm-hmm. Pop these simpletons like pimples, be very visionary with a very busy world like Richie, like Richard Scary, while your picture's next to Dingleberry in the dictionary. I don't sling rocks. I bling lots. Ask Gringotts. You should know me. I chucked homes like O-E-O-D and go cold turkey. I'm the young, clean version of old dirty. You're a toy. You're a toy that's been slapped together, packed and sold from factories. That's why it's easy for me to play whack-a-mole with whack-MCs. I'm the common factor linking Tupac, Babe the Blue Ox, and the Maccabees. In fact, I snack on whack-MCs like a boo box of mac and cheese. <laughs> so, yeah. Like, it's, and the, through that whole thing, it's it's a live thing, so you hear the crowd, and after, like, every freaking line, they're, like, freaking out, and like, ah. And I, I've just always, that's always been one of my favorite, like, stanzas of, like, you know, spoken word, like, poetry stuff that he's done. It just, like, it, it's, it, it's, the whole thing's, like, a, like a, the best, like, re- bestly written, like, rap battle diss track thing that I've, like, ever heard. Mm-hmm. But again, it's all, like, silly stuff, too, like, talking about people, like, a blue oh, box of mac and cheese, like. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. What? But yeah, that's that's one of my the first kind of like poem things that is that was pops in my mind. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, and it it turns into music. You just add a beat to it, and exactly. Was, and he rhymes. I know he's he's a super fast. Like he's known for his like speed. You know, putting it to right. The the, the it's very video fat. the YouTube video that kind of made it went viral and first got on the scene was a video called Pale Kid Raps Fast. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah, you've got some pictures with him, don't you? Yeah, I've got a few pictures with him. I got a little autograph book with him. He signed it three times yeah. over a couple of shows. It's pretty cool. That is awesome. Chill dude. Yeah, check him out. Uh modern rappers. I've I've been I've been dabbling everything, all of my stuff's been pre like nineteen thirty or nineteen twenty stuff, so except for my own. So that's fun. Um well I you go with me finishing out the rest of mine. Yeah, go ahead and yeah, read those other ones you got there. So, so first of all, so like the 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 work that I have it in right now is 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 loosely titled uh, "Hearts Gone Cold," 
um, is the title of the 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 chat book, and you know it's it's a it's a a bunch of poems. Um, I've only got about eighty in there right now, but I would shrink it down quite a bit before I did anything else. So this is. Um, I'm going to read that one. I might re read this one. So this is kind of like, I, I see a lot of people talking about stoicism. Um, you know, you kind of, that's kind of been like a more popular thing. And so this is, uh, this is kind of my take on that because it kind of comes from like, you know, Roman and it's kind of my conversation with a, with a, with a marble statue. So it's called uh, Stony Eyes, and um, it goes, Oh, marble man, sing to me of virtue. Plaster and stone hold up the statue. Tell me how I should feel and how to live. You who died a millennia ago, what advice to give? Ah, be good, yes. Oh, and also bold. Slow down, dear marble man, speaking silently from your pillar stand. Yes, I shall be courageous. Of course I'll be kind. Pride? Me? I'll keep that in mind. Chin up, why didn't I think of that? But what am I to do when it hurts so? But who should I go to? Should I hide behind you? Will you share my burdens too? Who am I to pry? Is that a tear that I spy? Of course not. How could you cry when all you have are those stony eyes? So that's kind of like my take mm. on like we, we have to be cautious of like what we learned from the past. Like I think I think like like Marcus like Aurelian um stoicism is not a bad thing, especially if it right. makes people it gives them some type of purpose. But it is always it's kind of like my thought that, you know, A, these people that we see we're seeing them in a vacuum, that they had feelings as well, and they made the wrong decisions, which is fine because people learn best from those. But also that, you know, some of the stuff we already know. So that's kind of what that one is. Right, right. Um, this one, I'm going to go with this one. This is kind of a more, this is, I, I saw a picture on a site. It was a tree, black and white picture of a tree, just nothing around it. Just like a landscape. There's a tree over like, and it's just the plains, like no grass, nothing like that. Just big sky tree standing all by itself. So this is called Stillness is Death. And I took it kind of from, like, I think this, is it Doug Mark? No, it's Ed's Manifesto is the title, or is, is what he, he uses that Stillness is Death thing, I think, a lot for his, like, moniker, correct? Who's this? Ed's, okay, you don't, so Ed's Manifesto. I don't know who you're, yeah, I don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> his name's Ed Calderon. So I started looking at him a long time ago because I really, like, he's really into, like, um, pseudo-spy stuff. Mm. Um, he was a Mexican drug agent who worked like a lot of undercover stuff. He's actually been on the Joe Rogan program, but I was familiar with him before that. And I actually used to do mm. jujitsu with a guy who sells some of his merch. Like he makes leather patches for him, uh, and then sells those off like leather bound patches, like, you know, um, morale patches or whatever with his, like, it's kind of like this really cool looking, uh, it's called the sneak reaper is what his like logo is it's you know like a sneaky little skeleton with knives and um one of his sayings is stillness is death you know kind of like the, the like not reacting to things right and so uh i titled it based on that and it's a story about a tree okay 
A tree stood alone with nothing around. The soil barren, its fruit could not pierce the ground. All alone with barely enough to survive. Though lonely, were there another, surely they'd both die. Then one day came a farmer who began to toil. Slowly but surely he began to till and work the soil. More people came, the settlement grew large. Their farmer's sons had now become the ones in charge. The tree watched as the city continued to grow. It watched as the people went about to and fro. The king would come and dine under its shade. Lovers would carve their initials into it with a blade. Space within the growing town soon grew rare. Surely they'd keep the old growth. They had to care. One day some nobles gathered around. Progress, they said with a smirk. And then came, cut it down. Hmm. The life of a tree. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, yeah, so I've already talked a little bit about where I got it from, but I, it was just like, I was, I'm going to write a poem about this tree. That's kind of where it came from, but obviously there's some, there's some little, there's my semblance of trying to have some meaning in there as well. Um, anyways. Very nice. I like that thank, one. Thank you. It's so like got, simple, but it, it it, there's some depth there to it as well. So I've got two more, this one, and then my kind of like my, my number one uh, poem that I'm that most, if, if anybody has read my works, they've read that one. And mm. that's been entered in poetry competitions and stuff. So this one is called, um, and Sisyphus smiled, obviously. So it's, it's based on, um, I believe it was Albert Camus, who was a French, um, uh, I guess philosopher, uh, so Albert Camus was, uh, I feel like it's Albert Camus. I might be wrong. Uh, the line is, we, you know, t- it is, it is him. It is Albert Camus because he has a whole book about, um, the, it's called The Myth of Sisyphus. And Sisyphus is obviously in Greek, uh, in Greek mythology was the man who was cursed to push the rock uphill each day until it came back down. Right. It, it never got, he could never reach the top. And then every single day he had to start over again. And one of the Albert Camus store, like his sayings is that we must try to imagine Sisyphus happy. And I wrote this and it's called and Sisyphus smiled based kind of loosely around that. Here I am condemned to death. Unfortunately, no, rather it is pain that has been sown. I stand up and brush away the dirt. The sword of time begins to flirt and pushing me forward still. Here lies the hurdle, or is the monument to my defeat. I push it onward, still not wishing to be beat. My hands ever so tattered, calloused and raw, yet yet they still catch me if I begin to fall. Breath in, breath out, I mutter and send curses loud. I've moved it now so much further, but there's nobody around to be proud. The grade is slowly gaining, and gravity works its might. I wish to make the horizon before day gives in tonight. My muscles, my muscles ache from driving and push, and from pushing on. My mind gives its best, trying to be strong. Yard by yard, I trudge through mud, grass, and snow. Nearer and nearer, the horizon begins to show. The bright sun fades to dusk, and soon a cool, dark night. The stone gives in, and I hear another roll away. I look, and by my side, Sisyphus is bent double, wiping the sweat from his brow. Close we were, friend, 
come we closer still if we hurry and get down to the bottom of our hill. Soon we hiked down as the, as the moon glow faded away, bringing with it the morning sun, ushering in the day. As I begin to pop, push, pondering mile upon mile, I look to the elder Sisyphus. He just winked and gave me a smile. So that's, that, you know, that's also kind of like my own per self-perseverance thing. And it's also a reminder that other people have been through stuff that you've been through as well. Um, right. And I've always liked that Albert Camus, you know, uh, saying he's like, a, he's, uh, I think he's famous for like absurdity. Absurdism is kind of like his, um, what he's most famous for is like, as far as his like philosophy theme. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So definitely a big fan of it. Um, that's really good. Thank you. I'll, I'll, I'm going to in my, this is my last one and it is, like I said, this is the one I'm, if anybody's ever read it, um, it's not there a whole lot of places, but it's called L'Appel du Vide. It's French for the call of the void. It's kind uh, of, yes, I've heard that before. So it's, it's the feeling you get when you're up somewhere high and you think about jumping, even though you don't want to jump. It's just like, what if I jumped right now? It's that kind yeah. of, thing. yeah. So, um, I think the theme's pretty easy to pick up on. I stand firmly planted here, looking over the edge. How many have come before to leap from this ledge? The canopy below begins to loudly cry out my name. The sound echoes off the canyons and repeats the same. One more step and down I go, all my problems cease. The wind blows, the treetops beckon and begin to tease. I've worked so very long and hard to get so high. One more foot is all I need and forever on the ground I'll lie. The thought of finality calms me down and feels so quaint. I look again and see the jagged rocks and want to faint. I look behind me to the path from which I came, then look below and consider the promise of no more pain. I consider now whether I should get a running start. It won't matter as long as from this cliff my feet part. Desperately, my eyes dart around and spy another trail. Shall I go, or will it just be another task for me to fail? Reluctantly, the decision's been made. I shall not fall. Despite the sweetness of the void's thundering call, I ponder again on just how simple it all could be. But that's not how this works. For when it's time, the void will come to me. Ooh. So that's that is that's one of my um, that's one I've entered in poetry contests and that kind of thing. Yeah. That's that's my favorite one. Obviously, that would be like one of my uh featured things in that comic book if i ever did it but oh for sure yeah that one that would be another one too i'd like to see someone's interpretation of that visually yeah I, i'd like that quite a bit i also think it'd be fun someday to like see if some of those like any of my stuff could actually go into songs you know i, I, I was literally i, I was literally i was literally thinking about that as you were reading that just now that i was like like wondering like i was like what kind of music would i put behind that if i could <laughs> i yeah. was just thinking that I feel like I've talked, I feel like I did a chat GPT thing where I put some of my poems in there and asked them to turn it into oh, yeah. a song and I sent it to you because I was like wondering what the chords and stuff like chord progression and everything would be. But right. yeah, well, that's enough yeah. of my sappy poetry stuff. Um, <laughs> time's kind of running out for me because I've got some yeah. food. Uh, it's almost dinner time here. It's, it's dinner time. So uh, I hope you guys kind of liked some of the poetry I had to read. I hope you guys will look into it. I think poetry is one of those, you know, we heard about the warrior poet or whatever, but I feel like it's one of those mm. 
arts that, you know, men, women can both enjoy. I think it is a masculine art as well. Um, you know, I'm a big guy. I, I do jujitsu and, um, you know, some people think I'm a tough dude. And then I tell them I do like, I, I like writing poetry and it's oftentimes you get a look from it. That's, that's really interesting because it's almost like they wouldn't expect that. And I get, I guess I get it, but it's one of those things that I think you can enjoy. And even if you're good at it or not good at it, I think putting things to pen to paper will help you get some of the things that you have out. I think it's an important thing. You know, people talk about it in, you know, people I know that have gone to therapy, you know, some oftentimes are told to write a letter to someone, you know, if it's an issue that they've had with their parents or whatever. And I think you can write a letter to yourself in your own words and rhyme scheme maybe, and, you know, pour your heart out. For sure. Yeah, give it a shot. You should just sit down and write something. There's no telling what might come out. You never know. You could have a hit. Yeah. Well, um, we hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. We will try to have our episodes a little bit more frequent and get back into our into the groove of things. Um, but we appreciate you guys sticking with us. And, you know, we hope that you follow us on the Geek ETC Podcast's uh, Instagram page as well as yeah. Twitter or X or whatever it's called. Yeah, and right. <laughs> whatever that is. Yeah. And- if you've got any... Uh, you know, if you're a poet and you have any interesting poems, send them to us. We, I'm sure, you know, John really would like to, you know, read over them. I'd like to check them out too. Yes, and, we will know, feature and, those in our stories. Yeah, that would be awesome if if any of you guys out there are, are poets and like to share some stuff. And you could also, even if you wanted us, you know, to send it to us and maybe you know get our take, but don't want us to share it, you know, you could leave a note and we could respect that privacy as well. We'd we you know read it over, you know, maybe. Give us give some thoughts about it, but then keep it private as well. If that's what you'd wish, we're open Absolutely. to whatever. Yeah, we 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 love to talk to uh to our listeners, and we appreciate you guys. We appreciate those that have joined our Patreon. Uh, go ahead oh, and yeah. give that Josh. Yeah, Patreon dot com slash Geek ETC Podcast. Go there for as little as a dollar a month. You can help fund what we're doing here, and you know. Hopefully, you know, one day that can grow to a our community can grow to a point where we can have more time to put out good content for you. Exactly. So, um, don't forget that you can find us on any of your podcast platforms. Typically we try to release on Wednesdays. I think this will be out a little bit later than that. Um, be advised. Uh, you can also find us on YouTube. Uh, Josh, yes, the podcast. Search, on there. Yeah, yeah. Just search geek ETC podcast, all one word on there. And you can find us. We've got the, uh, all the podcasts in a playlist on there that you can go and just you can actually just like add that playlist and you'll get uh, updates um, anytime that there's a new episode uploaded on there if you prefer to listen on YouTube uh, and you can, we have a website there is a website geekectcpod.com well listen whether you guys like to you know riff some Luthi Cower poems or rap to some Watsky or you know you also enjoy some Wilfred Owen remember geeks fight better together they do and I will leave you with this one more interlude from one of Watsky's songs in 1860 Walt Whitman wrote I cock my hat as I please in his famous poem Leaves of Grass in 2012 Justin Bieber said swag 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 on you chilling by the fire while we eat and fondue I don't know about me but I know about you say hello to falsetto in three to swag. Keep kicking out. <laughs>